It's Monday morning and you know what that means. No, it's not the start of another jury work week. It's time for Building a Better Cheyenne. So grab your hard hat, grab your hammer, or maybe just a cup of coffee, and let's get building. We're recording on a beautiful February 4th, 2021 here in Cheyenne. It's been a very exciting week on my end. Um, got to do stand-up comedy for the aging division, which was my first semi-professional appearance with that. Um, the, the wait with the Zoom and the laughter and people muted or unmuted was a bit challenging, but fun all in all. Um, Hugh, I'm curious, how's the week been for you, man? Uh, it's been great. Yeah, I, I got to see the the preview of your uh, event at uh, Dillinger's. That was a real treat. Lots of laughs. Um, my week's been great uh, at Habitat. I've been uh, redesigning and updating our website a little bit. The website right now is is kind of one of the main points of interaction with the public in, in kind of these Zoom and virtual times. Uh, I've been kind of working on that and trying to get it uh, up and running with all of our latest news and projects that we're working on and optimizing it for mobile settings. So that's what I've been working on this week. It's It's been a lot of fun and it's been kind of using a more creative part of my brain. And we're going to talk about creativity and art later on in this podcast. So I, like the time. I think it makes sense. Dan, how's your week? Absolutely. It makes sense. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't been very artful this week. I've been kind of just uh, reading and, and stuff. Uh, we do have some good stuff on the way from Habitat that we're going to be talking about later on in future podcasts, which are going to be cool. But mainly, I'm just uh, my biggest challenge this week has been trying to figure out my menu for the Super Bowl. I'm not sure. You know, those are important questions. So <laughs> hopefully we'll get that figured out by the end of the week. Appetizers are an art form in their own right, I must say. Absolutely. As you might tell not by now, audience, a heavy theme of ours today is art. So without further ado, we're going to bring on Chad Blakely. He is a teacher at Cary Junior High, a t-shirt designer, a mural painter, a comic book illustrator, and as his Facebook and Twitter bios read, father, husband, Beatles fanatic, lover of scotch, cigars, and craft beers. How are we hanging in there? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, I'm doing pretty darn good. That's what we like to hear. We can treat you all right then? Yeah, it's, you know, do a really good week. Um, every day teaching kids how to do art, it's always fun to do. And it's just, you know, every day is something different. So <laughs> every hour is something different. It's, it's, it's fun, but a good week. <laughs> and I love that. I love every hour to be different. This, this remote work is starting to kill me. I'm thriving for that interaction. <laughs> Oh, junior high will give you lots of interaction. I can tell you that much. I, I can't even imagine. I've, I've heard stories briefly from my sister-in-law, who's an environmental science teacher for seventh grade. Oh, wow. Some of her kids are just uh, terrifying with how bold they are in both their <laughs> actions and their words. So, I, I feel a little sorry for you sometimes, Chad, when I hear seventh grade, because I'm like, oh, man, I remember what I was like when I was in seventh grade then. <laughs> well, see, I think so. I apologize for my. <laughs> I think that helps me sometimes, though, because I remember how tough junior high was, and it was bad for me as a kid. So I always go into it with that that mindset of like, okay, these kids aren't here having fun. Let's try to make it a little bit easier for them, you know, and be more sympathetic. <laughs> nice, absolutely. So, Chad, if I'm not mistaken, you're from um, Rock Springs, Wyoming, correct? Uh, yes, sir. Born and raised in Rock Springs. The Rocket City. <laughs> the Rocket City. 
I love that. Move, move over Houston. Is that <laughs> right? Sound, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to hear what was uh, childhood Chad like? You talked about junior high Chad, but um, tell me a little bit about what growing up in Rock Springs was like. Um, I had this, you know, normal childhood. Um, I was really into, as you might imagine, my surprise into comics, into you know, video games when I was a kid and stuff. You know, I love playing Nintendo, love reading comics. I always wanted to draw comics. So that's something I spent a lot of time doing in school was always drawing something. Like I'd go through phases like in fourth grade, I drew Alvin and the Chipmunks. In fifth grade, I drew Garfield. And sixth grade, I drew Conan the Barbarian. So I always just like I went through my phase like that. But um Rock Springs has a bit of a, a salty history in the state. And well, lucky for me, growing up there was kind of in a, a, a more quiet period. It wasn't like the, the crazy heyday back in the 70s. So you mentioned some of the comics that you drew growing up. What were some of your favorite ones that uh, you were reading back then and took inspiration from as a, as a kid? Oh, man. Um, yeah, my first love was Conan the Barbarian. I bought a stack of Conan comic books at a garage sale one time. And I just fell in love with the artwork in there. And so I used to buy Conan all the time. And then I got really into Todd McFarlane drawing uh, the Hulk and then Spider-Man and then Spawn. So between like John Buscema's Conan and, and McFarlane's Spider-Man, those were my two big influences as a kid, my, my favorite comics. And Chad, as you were developing in childhood and experimenting with different like illustrations, was there a concrete point when you realized like, hey, I want to study this or continue to apply myself in this direction for college? I see that you're a graduate of um, UW yep. in uh, 1999, right? Um, so, yeah, um, actually, it, we had in sixth grade for our sixth grade graduation, we had a little sixth grade yearbook. And we all had to say what we want to do when we grew up. And mine said, I want to be an artist for Marvel Comics. So when I was 12 years old, that's what I wanted to do. So it's something I pursued all through, you know, something I wanted to do. And my dad was more of a pragmatic guy. And he's like, listen, I want you to get a degree in something you could do. And then you can pursue the comics on the side. And I had a really cool art teacher in high school named Larry Collins. And we're still friends to this day. And Larry Collins is one of those guys that when you're a teenage kid, he's like, he blew your mind with his art and his love of music. And it's really connected with him. And I thought, well, if I can't draw comic books for a living, I'm at least, I want to do what Larry Collins does. So I went to UW and studied art education. And then once I got my job as a teacher, then I started kind of pursuing the comics thing on the side again. So it's always been like my pretend job on the side. <laughs> so was, was seventh, is seventh grade the only uh, grade you've taught or was, is that just what you're doing now? Well, I teach uh, seventh and eighth grade at Cary. Okay. There's two art teachers. One teaches 3D and the one teaches 2D and that's myself. So I do the introduction class and the advanced class for a uh, seventh and eighth grade. And back in the day when we had freshmen at Cary, so when it was seventh, eighth and ninth, I taught that grade level too. Nice. So it's pretty cool to see the, to see the different maturity levels of kids and watch them grow from being squirrely seventh grade kids to, know it all ninth graders <laughs> earlier you were mentioned some of your early influences at you know at garfield being one of them which was one i grew up reading uh and then that transition to graphic novels like you mentioned todd mcfarlane and spawn what other uh what other influences beyond those two have have you pulled from outside of the comic book world into your own comics 
Well, um, as an artist, when I was in college learning about art, I really gravitated uh, towards pop art. Uh, it's just, you know, something that like, hey, wow, they made, you know, comic books and 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 uh, soup cans and artwork. And that really just blew my mind. So I love the idea of pop art. And then as I learned more about pop art, and then start noticing it like, oh, wait, like the Batman TV show from the 60s. That was pop art, you know, with the dams and the biffs and everything. It was like a living pop art on, on TV. So as as a was Andy Warhol ever on an episode of Batman? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as, as I grew as an artist, that's something I gravitated towards more was the pop art aspects of it. And then that led me back to comics with artists like Michael Allred, who uh, created a character called Madman, and they did the zombie comic. And he actually did a cover for my first graphic novel, Kidnapping Kevin Smith. So I've been looking as as kind of come full circle, like, you know, started off in comics and got interested in pop art. And now I'm graduated back towards comic book artists to have that pop art vibe. So Chad, um, he and I were actually having this discussion yesterday. We looked at each other across um, our table and said, like, we don't actually know who Kevin Smith is. Why Kevin for the first subject of uh, your comic book? I'm a little ignorant. Well, see, you're you're a kid. You're young, you know. Um, We've got four people on the podcast, two who love Kevin Smith and two who don't know who he is. So this should be an interesting conversation. Right. Uh, So Kevin Smith's a filmmaker. He started off um, making his first independent film by actually selling his comic book collection. And he used that to finance his first movie called Clerks, which he filmed at a convenience store he was working at during the day. They film at night. He worked there during the day. So Kevin Smith's been an independent filmmaker for a long time, since the 90s. And then um, he's then bankrolled that into his love of comics. He's written comics like Green Arrow and Daredevil and Batman. So he's just one of those independent. So in the 90s, there was a huge independent film movement. And I was a kid in college at the time, so I got wrapped up in that with Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez and um, uh, Richard Letts, uh, uh, Link Letter. Yeah. Also Richard Lester, which is a different filmmaker. Um, but yeah, so when I, um, I, I had met Kevin Smith once at a comic book convention, and he's a really cool guy. So my friends were giving me a hard time saying I was stalking Kevin Smith. So I wrote a little, little comic book, this little ash can that I folded in uh, Xerox paper. And then um, it was about me stalking Kevin Smith and me like joining this cult and stuff. So I did a little actual stalking after I wrote this book. And I found his email address. So I asked him, hey, man, I did this comic book about you. Can I send you a copy? Like, oh, yeah, sure. So he sent me, I sent him a copy and he told me he thought it was funny. So then years later, I, I really wanted to do my, my first graphic novel. I had like this idea kind of like the movie Misery and my obsession with Kevin Smith. So I turned it into this comic book called Kidnapping Kevin Smith. And I again asked him, if like, hey, I got this idea for a book about you. Could I do this book? And he's like, sure, man, go for it. And he didn't want any money for it or any kind of anything. He just wanted a copy of the book. So it's just his independent um, filmmaking spirit that kind of motivated me as an independent comic book artist. And again, it's kind of like this, this that full circle thing. It's like, you know, one thing influences the other and it comes back. And yeah, so yeah, like Kevin Smith's a filmmaker. Dogma, Chasing Amy, Mallrats, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, great films. Speaking of, <laughs> if you had to pick one Kevin Smith film as your favorite, what would it be? 
I'd say Dogma. Nice. Because Alan, Alan Rickman is in it, and you can't go wrong with Alan Rickman. And it's it's like a comic book adventure meets Star Wars, which meets, you know, Bible. It's, it's a great movie. How about you, Dan? Mine, mine is Chasing Amy. Uh, okay. I, I'm, I'm like you. I, I love Kevin Smith. Um, started to watch him in high school with Clerks and then Mallrats. And uh, I, I yep. just love Chasing Amy. I Not only is it my favorite, I personally think that is his best film. Um, it's a great film. It's just got a mix of... Uh, Obviously, it's it's humorous, but there's also some tender moments and, and really shows he's more. It was his first film that said, OK, I can write more about people standing around saying snoochie booties. Right. Like yeah, there was more to it than than just right. funny stuff. So, yeah. And to your your point about about 90s independent filmmaking, there was a lot of it in the 90s. And there's actually a, I haven't read the book in a really long time, but there's a really good book out there called Spike, Mike, Slackers, and Dykes. And it's about the 90s industry, uh, independent filmmakers of the time. So, Yeah, in fact, in Mallrats, uh, Silent Bob um, looks, picks that book up or looks at that book, I think, in the bookstore in the mall. You're right. Yeah. And the, and the crazy thing about Chasing Amy is the artist that did all the Black Man Chronic artwork is Michael Allred. The guy that did the cover for my kidnapping Kevin Smith book. Oh, nice. and yeah, it's just one of those just crazy how things work out like that. So you kids, you check out some Kevin Smith stuff. I'll do my homework. Speaking of um, Kevin Smith's filmmaking progression, can you talk a little bit about your own artistic progression from writing your first comic book to? to publishing your your graphic novel, uh, Blood and Bitter Creek. How's your process changed and your drawing style changed and, and stuff like that? Well, yeah, it's been a big change. My first uh, my first official book, Kidnapping Kevin Smith, I, I did actually on paper with ink and everything like a, like a, like a caveman. <laughs> <laughs> and now I draw on my computer. I, I got a Wacom Cintiq tablet about five years ago. And since then, I've done two graphic novels on that tablet. And I've, all my work I've done for Daniel Marks Brewery here in town, I've done all on that tablet. So I, I, don't know, I love doing traditional art. I love doing watercolors. I've been, I've been painting on skateboards lately because it's a real fun challenge. But man, drawing on digital, digitally and coloring digitally and doing everything right there uh, has opened up so many this opened my artwork up so much because it allows me to try things. You can add a layer and try something and like, Oh, that looks like crap. I'll try something else and get rid of that layer. And it just really has opened me up to a lot. Um, I think it's really improved my art, which is fun. So that's my, that's the, the biggest change in my process. I still, I, for my write something, I'll, I'll write like a basic outline, almost like you did in sixth grade where it's like letter a, this number one, this, like, <laughs> just like somebody's like that. And then from that, I break that down to what's called thumbnail sketches where I just do little boxes and every box is a page. And then that page, I scribble in the panels. And then from there, I make it bigger and do a lot of reference photographs. My, my poor wife and kids have posed for so many things in my comics, you know, like here guys, hold this gun and you get over here and you do this and I'll get me you on. Know, it's yeah. So that's, it's kind of like my step-by-step -step process and then yeah <laughs> and then be able to do it digitally it's just it's so nice having the reference there on a separate layer and yeah it's really opened my world up and i think you mentioned 
uh, Daniel Marks somewhere in that response. I, I'm thankful for the work you've done in creating um, the artwork for um, the Habitat Hero Lazy IPA in the summer, and most recently, the Lady Justice on Brown Ale that the Equal Just Wyoming Foundation sold. I'm curious, what's your favorite beer at Daniel Marks, and what's your favorite piece of artwork you've created for them? And are they the same? Well, that's a tough one. Um, my favorite beer at Daniel Marks, if I give not any of the rotators, um, I'll go for the Shatter Cane. It's their double IPA. It's more bang for your buck. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's delicious. As far as my favorite character I've done or favorite drawing I've done there, I've done so many. That's the nice thing with Ryan, the brewer, is he has these rotating beers. He does something new every couple of months. And actually, my newest one that hasn't come out yet, it's, it's, a, it's a winter beer. Um, and it's called, uh, oh, they were calling it the Four Winds, but I think they changed it because of the, the name of the bar being the, you know, the Four Winds in town. Um, but it's uh, it's a really cool drawing. I went outside my wheelhouse of doing superheroes, and it's instead like a Viking barbarian type of guy around a fire, and it's got all this moody atmospheric darkness and snow falling. So I think my best point, I guess that's how most things are. Like, what's your favorite piece of artwork? The newest thing I've done. Because <laughs> you always, hopefully, hopefully you're always like, you know, like, wow, this is this is awesome. You know, and the next one you're like, well, that's even better. And it's progressively you know get more excited and better as you go mm -hmm. what's your favorite beer it, it really but i find myself a fan of the old regret which is um the red ale oh yeah and before moving to cheyenne never too crazy about those but i've actually stopped in um south dakota on my way down into wyoming in rapid city and they got the house mm -hmm. brewery there i think it's like the oldest state yep. they were almost like exclusively red ale so my brother was buying so i said you know what i'll try a few of these and just i think the nostalgia of that memory has really made me more um open to trying things like that that's cool you how about you um i probably have to go with the the pale ale i i don't remember the the name star i guess maker. the star maker yes yes the star maker I, and I really like the art that goes along with it too. I like the kind of the the red circles, but in the yellow background, kind of remind me of the fizz, kind of in the beer. Okay. And so I I I don't know. That's that's kind of the the vibe I was getting from it from the illustration, and <laughs> yeah, it kind of looks like a a Johnny Storm type type figure too <laughs> that's cool yeah so that's one of my favorite illustrations i've done for them of, of all those main characters um and the, the my influence was jack kirby i don't know if you guys are familiar with jack kirby's artwork but jack kirby created the marvel universe with stanley helping him out and jack kirby would do this thing in the background to like outer space or energy this thing they call kirby crackle and it's like these, these bunches of dots and like energy going off everywhere. So that's what those red dots are. Is like my Kirby crackle. Also, yes, yeah, like the fizz of the beer too. <laughs> that that's so neat how that effect creates like the motion with the picture that you're viewing. Because like they do have the animations on the website, but even just looking at them, still right. looks like they're back and forth. Well, that's cool. <laughs> to, to bring it back to um, the graphic novel that um, Hugh had brought up, Blood. Bitter Creek. Um, I'd, I'd gotten to do a lot of research on it in the past week, and I've, I've seen that it's a tale of uh, um, gangland violence, an undercover cop who like, brings the whole uh, facade down. 
in that it explores a lot of the political social issues of small town Wyoming that a lot of people wouldn't assume under the underbelly. And I'm curious, looking at the landscape of Cheyenne today or the state as a whole, what are the largest problems that you see and the most obvious solutions? I know that's a that's a heavy that's a landscape question. Yeah, that's a heavy question. Um, you know, the thing is, I'm friends with Richard Johnson, City Council Richard Johnson, and Rich has said that Wyoming's greatest export mm-hmm. is our young people. And it's the truth. You know, it's so sad. My, I have two kids of my own. My daughter's 14, and she can't wait to move out of Wyoming. My son's eight, uh, 17, and he can't wait to move out of Wyoming either. And it's sad that our greatest exports are kids. And I feel that's the biggest um, hurdle we have in the state of Wyoming is there's such an old fuddy-duddy mentality that kind of rules everything in the state, which oftentimes makes it so we have budget shortfalls because we're so we're so dependent on one revenue stream. And it makes it so that the youth don't want to stay behind in their hometown because they want to move on to something bigger and better that has more amenities and more things to do and more things to see. And to me, that's the, the biggest challenge facing our state, I think, is retaining their youth and doing it in a way that also helps our economy or something, you know. And as a teacher, that's my biggest thing. With the budget shortfalls that are coming up the next year, they're, you know, I'm afraid of what the landscape's going to be like or who's going to lose their job and yada, yada, yada. It's, it's scary. Yeah, that the, the brain drain, you know, you, the, the youth, they grow up, they get educated, and you've got a lot of smart people and you've got a lot of good things going on with the youth, but then they, whoop, they go somewhere else. So it's interesting. Right. I'm curious if any of you have heard of um, what the Wyoming Children's Trust Fund is doing with uh, Wyoming 2030, which is about the problem of um, so many youth leaving our state to pursue um, education or employment elsewhere. They, they had a panel of presenters um, back in January, a lot of like childhood development and challenges about that, but they're continuing to have these conversations and shape goals and objectives for the next 10 years. So want um, both you guys and our audience to stay plugged into that. Sure. Okay. But, but I think you hit, I think you hit on a good point though, Chad, is if a lot of the jobs and a lot of the revenue in the state are focused on one area and so heavily, it, it kind of doesn't, right. You know, it kind of forces you into that field if you want to stay in the state, right? In a way. So, yeah. And my dad grew up, I grew up with my dad. I'm, you know, being from Rock Springs, my dad worked at one of the Trona mines. He worked there for 32 years, I think, maybe 34 years. But he worked at Trona mine forever. And so, Rock Springs is a very energy town. You know, like the, the booms and busts of Bitter Creek that they hear about is a real thing because. At times it's thriving because the oil fields or the natural gas fields are booming. And then all of a sudden the market dies down and the town just dies down with it. And that's actually a blood and bitter Creek is inspired by rock Springs uh, to bring it back to the graphic novel because the rock Springs in the seventies there actually was a huge underground crime uh, element going on. And they brought in undercover cop and a, and a safety director to investigate it. And the safety director ended up shooting an undercover cop. And there's a whole story that goes there. So my story kind of used that for inspiration and I springboarded it and had a, a you know, female protagonist in the story that helped uncover all this stuff. And that's, that's my springboard was that in Rock Springs. <laughs> well, 
it sounds like a fascinating graphic novel. I'm, I, I hadn't heard of it before, you know, we were going to do this. So I'm definitely going to check it out. Well, it's available here in Cheyenne down at Olympus Games and Comics. Talk to Kyle. He's an old student of mine, actually, that owns Olympus Games and Comics, and he can hook you up with a copy. Nice. So beyond your thoughts about the uh, keeping the youth here, what other local causes are you passionate about? Um, I, uh, one thing that I, um, I, I really am passionate about is uh, the community shelter. I, I think the community shelter is, and unfortunately, it's one of those things that's been hit hard by the pandemic. Yeah, it's just, I feel so bad that they had to shut down because of the, the pandemic. But like, right. um, my, my my folks every month before the pandemic could take food to the community shelter, like not just like canned goods. They, you know, my dad liked the idea of them having a pancake breakfast. So my dad would always go to Sam's Club and buy a bunch of pancake mix and maple syrup and bacon and bring it to them and. So to me, that's that's one thing. And I also like to help out wherever I can. Like one of the things I've been involved with was obviously you guys that have a humanity. That's been really rewarding to be able to do stuff that benefits you in this, any kind of way. But also I've done I've done work with the, the Cupid's Undy Run. They're a local charity that I've, I've done uh, artwork for. So the cool thing about Daniel Marks to me is that all these different organizations like you guys and Cupid's Undy Run and... Um, Others that escape on my mind right now. The, the, the Daniel Marks does a lot of great work with these charities, and I always get to be the guy that draws the artwork for something that they're, they're doing. So to me, that's just rewarding. Like, hey, there's my drawing I did, and you know, this I don't know. Just it feels nice to be involved in a small way with uh, helping out like when I can. I feel as though one of the biggest uh, weights or burdens being shouldered right now is um, what teachers are doing in our state and across the country. I just want to know what what is that like in the day to day of teaching such a hands on subject in a pandemic and just having to have that like enduring patience? Well, it was really hard during the lockdown um, because we had a scramble because we teach the stuff that involves materials and every kid had different materials at home. Some kids have every art supply in the world and some kids don't even have paper and pencil. So the challenging part during the pandemic was me and some fellow art teachers um, collaborated to work on lesson plans. They're open-ended enough that the kids, I had kids turning in projects that were done with Legos, you know, and other kids were turning in watercolor paintings and stuff. So that was challenging, but also kind of fun to see what they could do with their own resources at home. Luckily, we've been allowed to go back to school and it's, it's, it's had its own challenges. The biggest challenge is having kids wear their masks properly. <laughs> I make the motion to pull your mask up at least 17 times an hour because kids always have it down below their nose. Um, but at least we're lucky enough to go back to school and we get to follow the protocols that allow us to be back face to face. And I think that's one thing that I've really noticed a shift. Like I'm at Cary Junior High. We have a brand new building. So we have a brand new building and then everyone got to come back to school after being stuck at home for all those months. And I feel that the kids were really kind of like grateful and excited to be back at school. And some of the bloom may be off the rose by now in February, but I still think that the kids, you know, you have to remind kids, hey, wear your mask. Cause if you don't, we might go back to remote learning. And that was really bad. Like, oh, I hated that. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So put your mask on. So that's, that's to me, that's, it's kind of, gone from being a bad thing with the staying at home but now the kids are in the building are all kind of grateful to be there which is kind of a nice blessing which is a word i use very much 
Yeah, it, it seems especially that with art, at least face-to-face interaction is really key and opening those windows for like collaboration even can be really hard. I feel like over, over Zoom or oh, yeah. virtually and Oh, it's, impo- it's impossible because that's one of my favorite things is I way, way, the way I teach is I teach a big lesson to the whole class. And then when kids get rolling, I go around the room and check with every kid individually. And every kid individually has different needs. Some kids need no help whatsoever. Other kids, you have to actually see what they're doing physically and say, hey, man, let's try this. Let's move this over here. Have you thought about doing this? And this that, that one-on-one interaction that, to me, separates art teachers from, like, you know, being, like, maybe a uh english teacher i don't know um but it's that one-on-one connection that that i thrive on and when i was doing the zoom lessons and the virtual learning i you don't have that and it's it's i miss that so much so yeah it's it's hard to do (laughs) and chad i want to give people and our listeners um the opportunity to either view or catch up with um the work that you created would you mind plugging a couple of your um websites or socials for us Oh, sure. So a lot of my work I do under the name Blakely737, which is like my last name, the number 737. I have an Instagram under that account. I update all the time with artwork. I tweet sporadically my artwork. I try. Uh, it's one of those things I struggle with remembering to do. But I also have a website, Blakely737.com. I update my work there. My Like my newer stuff I've done, It's I try to put it up there. But yeah, Instagram is a really good way to follow me. Likely 737 on Insta. And what are some of the more uh, recent projects that you've been putting up there working on? One of the coolest things that happened during the pandemic last year. So I'm, I'm a huge Foo Fighters fan. And last year was the Foo Fighters 25th anniversary. So during the lockdown, I had time on my hands. I thought, well, I'm just going to do some fan art of the Foo Fighters. So I started doing some Foo Fighters fan art, like of comic book pages based on their songs or whatever. And then there's this 10-year-old girl named Nandy Bushel from the UK. And she's an amazing drummer, amazing musician. She plays guitar and bass. And she challenged Dave Grohl to a drum-off. And she played Everlong, and she challenged him to a drum-off. So I guess Dave Grohl found out about this. So Dave Grohl from the Foo Fires hadn't played drums for years, he said, sat down on the drums, and he played a Them Crooked Vultures song back to her. And then she responded back with that song like two days later. So I started doing some fan art of their drum battle and then Nandy saw the artwork and when they, then, so Nandy's you know, dad started sharing the artwork and he uh, asked me for permission to use it and yeah, that kind of stuff. And then Dave Grohl wrote a song about her saying how awesome she was. And then, so Nandy recorded her first single uh, called rock and Grohl about Dave Grohl. And then they asked me to do the art- artwork for the actual single. So if you go on Spotify, I've done two covers now for Nandy. Um, for her first song, Rock and Roll, and then her new song, uh, I think it's called Gods and Unicorns, because she's a 10-year-old girl, you know, but it's uh, it's been cool. I've got to do this artwork for, for her, and that then that opened up doors. They were talking about her on CBS This Morning, and they featured, they, you know, the, the CBS This Morning producers messaged me on Twitter saying, hey, we want to show your artwork on the news, so we show it. So they show on the news. And my, my wife's like, that's cool. You should do a picture of Vlad Duthier for showing your work on the news. So I then I did a drawing of Vlad and I tweeted it to Vlad and then Vlad featured on CBS this morning. They talked about me on the news. And so it's been a, kind of this cool, like snowballing effect. And I've gotten a lot of work because of that, which is pretty fun. It's just, yeah. So the pandemic was bad, but it also opened up a lot of cool doors. <laughs> 
definitely going to have to check out their drum off on YouTube. Oh yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Nandy Bushel, Dave Grohl drum off. It's yeah, it's cool. She's a, she's a talented kid. <laughs> and I, I saw today, cause you'd mentioned on recent things in the news that, um, a website, which you do a series of, um, UW, uh, athletic moments over the years, uh, recently sold, which was a really big move for them. And what's that, mm-hmm. what was that website called? Like 7,220.com. It's uh, yeah. 7220 sports. Nice. How's How, which is the uh, elevation of um, war Memorial stadium at UW. <laughs> that makes sense. I'm, I'm so disappointed. I didn't get into the game there. That was such an excitement of uh, moving out here for sure. Oh yeah. How, how's working on that series been? It's, it's been a lot of fun, you know, being, I'm not really as big sports guy. I've always been an art and comic book and music nerd. Um, so um, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of educational for me learning about different moments of UW history. But then also the fun thing is I have a high school friend who played football for UW and he's a big UW fan. So there's times when Cody uh, Tucker, the guy that runs the website didn't have an idea for the, or the cartoon that week. I'd call my friend Larry and say, Hey man, I need an idea for a cartoon. He's like, Oh, okay. Here's an idea for it. And he gave me some, like all, all the facts and everything. So it was really, it's fun. Cause it's uh, kind of reconnected me with the uh, UW sports, which is something I hadn't been into since college really. Um, particularly this summer with um, the conversations on racial injustice around the country. I loved your um, series that you did on the black 14 and I had no idea that until I'd moved out to Southeastern Wyoming. But uh, pretty, pretty amazing stuff. And it's reconciliation for all those folks is long overdue. And I'm glad to see. That. Sorry, oh, I, yeah. I was going to say, can you, can you talk about the, the, the Black 13 for, for those of us who, who are unfamiliar? Yeah, so the, the Black 14, um, they were uh, the, they're members of UW football team that um, wanted to, like, to protest just by wearing a simple armband during a game. Um, they wanted to protest because it's 1968, I believe. And of all, all the horrible things were going on. They want to protest by, by simply wearing an armband. And the UW uh, president and the coach uh, decided instead of allowing them to simply wear an armband, also because they're playing BYU. That's the other thing, too, is BYU at the time had a very um, uh, segregationist policy. They didn't allow blacks in the school there. So they were protesting that. And UW said, all right, you're out of here. And they kicked them off the team simply for wanting to do a simple peaceful protest. And finally, 50 years later, they, they recognize them at the UW game and they have a, a placard for them, I think at the stadium or, and it's, it's something that's always been a horrible, you know, blemish on our state, which is unfortunate, but that's something that happened and needs to be recognized and addressed and talked about, you know, and I went to, I went to UW uh, in the nineties. I never even heard of this. I had no idea about till after I graduated college. I was like, oh my God, that's absurd that you're not taught about this at UW, you know, this is, is crazy. Yeah. I, I hadn't known about it until after we moved here several years after we moved out here and they made a, in one of the alleys in Laramie, there's a really cool black 14 mural that they made on the wall. I can't remember the streets because of the first time I saw it, it was uh, after I left the fundraiser at Cole Creek tap. So that, that kind of, <laughs> I'll do it every time. But I know the mural is there. No, it's it's a great mural and it's fantastic. And 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 it's it's like you said, Chad. It's unfortunate that you know this history is not being taught to other generations as a learning piece as well, right? 
Right, exactly. It's not so much a shaming piece. No. Yeah, I, I think that's the, I think that's the problem people see is they when they have this horrible blemish on your history, instead of using it as a learning moment, they look at it like, oh, this is shameful. We can't talk about this. But it's like by covering it up and not talking about it, you're doing the, the people a disservice who were the victims. Yeah. I would agree with you more on that. And those of you out there who poke supporters and or big uh, Josh Allen fans with his recent playoff run, I would heavily recommend looking up Chad Blakely's um, Josh Allen Bills slash uh, Cowboys design. It's him kind of with his UW 17 riding a bill. And it's it, it's the coolest graphic. I'm, I'm so excited for it to ride. Well, there's, so I got it. I got it. I don't know how there, there might be a little copyright issues with that. So it's, it's done as a parody. Oh, really? It's not, it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all parody, <laughs> but look on tpublic.com Blakely 737 is my name and you can find all kinds of um, infringing <laughs> items on there. <laughs> well, fan art. Thanks for covering my basis with that. <laughs> well, folks. I think that is about all we've got for today. Chad, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank I you for having you. me. Yeah, let's, I'm, I'm hoping we can do it again and keep these conversations up going into the future. But for now, everybody, uh, go out there and uh, make the magic happen in your community. That's all. See you soon. <laughs>